It's the Low Score Podcast, starring Bobby Schweizer and Jason Ford. And now, here's Bobby and Jay. Merry Christmas, Jason. Merry Christmas, Bobby. How's it going? Sure, hope it treats you right. Hey, man, I'm... I, I tell you what, it's uh, it's after Christmas, but I'm still feeling the Christmas spirit. I am not, and that is bothersome. Oh. Now, last, as we discussed on two podcasts ago, you're in favor of keeping Christmas going like a full month after Christmas. Uh, I, I, I would say Christmas does not go a full month, but I am comfortable having those decorations up see to me if you're not feeling christmasy and like looking at christmas trees and santas is like a slap in the face i see like it it, like at that at that point if i wasn't feeling christmasy i definitely want it all to go away and and that's the thing for me it's like all this stuff is here just to help hopefully i will feel in the spirit again but christmas is weird because it's such a hard stop right there's like a month leading up to it and then the day happens and it's not even the full day. It's basically like once the meal has been eaten, everyone settles in, Christmas is basically over. Uh, on the one hand, that's definitely true. But then there's the whole part where you just like what is, you know, Christmas, you get a bunch of stuff. That's true. And then and then you have the subsequent days where you're using that stuff, especially if you're off work and, you know, out of town. Like uh, on the 26th, I'm putting on new shoes I got for Christmas. I'm like reading new cookbooks, popping in Zelda for the first time. Yeah. You know, and then like there's still many items I haven't even like used yet. But I got bread baking stuff I'm using. I got clothes I haven't worn. For me, Christmas is very much defined by as much as I sometimes hate the stuff, but like the music playing in the stores or like putting on Christmas CDs in the car, Mm -hmm. watching Christmas movies for like the week leading up to Christmas. Yes. I think there needs to be like the week after Christmas movies. Like we need to go out and make some films about December 26th or 27th. Like those zany adventures of trying to return to the thing you got that you didn't want or like coming back from Christmas. That way we have something to watch on those days to kind of bring you down from just like the amount of effort that goes into the 25th. So what you're saying is you want a jingle all the way sequel where Arnold Schwarzenegger got the Power Man doll, yep. but it was the wrong color. Free. So now, so now he has to go and exchange it at Toys R Us on the twenty sixth. Precisely. Okay. Uh, yes, absolutely. Like that is the kind of dumb shit. I just want to have a day after movie. Because on Christmas Day, you know, you can watch like a Christmas story. That's a good Christmas Day movie, you know. Sure. But uh, I just it's the twenty sixth hits, and and it feels like it's all over. That's true. As much as I'm, I'm okay with decorations up. All of our stuff still up. The music and the movies definitely need to stop. I don't want any of that anymore. Yeah. After Christmas, that is that is a bit of a hard stop. But I don't know. I just I just feel like we're in a good easing out period that kind of leads up to like there's a whole lot of friends cycling through town. It still feels very festive. New Year's is coming up, and that seems like then there's another holiday that then you can kind of transition out. Like there's there it, it seems like a bit of a day crescendo. It's not as hard of a stop. Sure. New Year's for me is always the most anticlimactic of the holidays because I can't enjoy New Year's because Magfest is right around the corner. Yeah, right. That's true. Like you just have to prepare yourself. Like you cannot hurt yourself on New Year's. And even like 
you know, everyone who's around who wants to do something on New Year's, like wants to like fucking go hard on New uh, Year's. But I can't like, do that. you know, you have to refrain from it. So you just we stay home and watch TV, and that's that. New Year's is not not special unless you're doing like a big party for me. I've as Christmas gets crazier and crazier with like the stuff we do. I enjoy doing as little as possible on New Year's Eve. Definitely partially because of Magfest around the corner, but I think even more so the fact that we've been kind of going and going. The best New Year's Eve I ever had was Carrie was out of town and I just played Skyrim till like four in the morning. Oh, that sounds great. It was like 15 hours straight Skyrim. It was fantastic. Uh, was fantastic. I missed I missed midnight. I had no idea. Like I looked up and it was one thirty, and I was like, oh, well. There was one dra- year. Dragon's not going to slay itself. No. There was one year where Magfest occurred during New Year's. I remember that. That was cool. Um, but the best New Year's I've ever had, you were at it. Mm-hmm. We were at our friend Karen's house. Oh, that! Oh, that was really fun. Dr- um, drunk, drunken rock band New Year's. The, the first, like, like rock band had just just come out. Yep, that was the the first year. Yep, that uh, was amazing. Yeah, and she had that great townhouse that was good for hosting the party. Mm-hmm. That was really fun. That was that was great. Yeah, <laughs> was that the first? Was that like oh oh six into oh seven? It, it must have been. So that would so, have been like the first time that we had all gotten back together, or a yep. number of us had gotten all back together since college. Indeed. Whew. Good stuff, man. Well, speaking of looking back, yeah. Let's <laughs> let's talk. Let's uh, let's get real here. So the last couple of podcasts y'all heard um, was the two of us along with good friends of the show, friends of the show, good friends of the show, Adam and Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Determining the game of the generation. That was hell in quotes of a thing. It was long. It was extremely long. Uh, you know, I've talked to a couple people who listened to it, who I think being generous kind of enjoyed our discussions and some of the, the interesting things we had to say positive and negatively about each game. Yep. But especially as it went on, it became clear how poorly the games were matched up, which which games didn't seem to fit on the list, which games were um, really visibly missing from the list. I think Wii Sports is definitely the one that jumps out the most. Yeah. Um, and how it definitely, that last 20 or 30 minutes, we just stopped giving any and all fucks. Yeah, partly out of, you know, a number of us needed to go, and so we just kind of wanted it to end, which is yeah. always a shame because, you know, if you're going to do something that, that is that length, like, you should put your heart into it the entire time. So it's kind of a bummer that that we lost steam, but it's not surprising that we did because, I mean, the, there are four of us with four very different opinions. As much as it seems like yes. you and I have similar taste in games, there are also ways in which we diverged significantly well i think once push i think we do have very similar tasting games like the games that we agree are excellent and terrible those venn diagrams have a massive amount of overlap once we get to ranking those games or picking one or two of those games i think that's where it starts to get pretty different um and i i think that you know go ahead I would say it also proves that it is better when it's just you and I doing it, because <laughs> even though it right. excludes a lot of things that we don't have knowledge about, um, man, the more people you add to the mix, the harder, the harder it, gets. it is to come to a consensus. I think, you know, one of the problems were game of the generation is not a particularly useful definition. Right. Um, I think we've talked about we want to try to define what exactly a generation means. I think 
with these it, it seems very clear that the the PS4 and Xbox 1 will coexist with the PS3 and Xbox 360 so I don't think the last generation is over quite yet um I also think that there's a lot of different ways to define like what do you want out of the game of the generation mm-hmm. there are some generations where I look at our choice of rock band and say I think that makes a lot of sense there but then I could also step back and say was that my, the game I had the most fun with well, maybe it was. Was it my favorite game? Like, no. Do I think it was the, like, quote-unquote best game? No. But I don't know. Like, there, it, depending on, on which criteria you use, I think we could have come up with with some different answers. Yeah, but, but. you know, the, the fun of these for us is that we take someone else's bracket and we do it, right? So right. to some extent, we can kind of wash our hands and say, well, maybe Rock Band is not the game of the generation. It just happened, like, in that matchup that it was. Um, right. Right, exactly. I, I don't... I, I kind of like... actually sickly like the chaos and uh, oh, hair yeah. pulling that comes out of it. <clears throat> like, I don't, I don't feel that as as terrible as of other people i think i think the exercise is a lot more interesting than the result than, yeah Beca- because if anything when you put two games that don't make sense to compare together like dark souls and spelunky or something like that um it it if anything forces you to define what you like and don't like about those games the strengths and weaknesses yeah um i don't, and I don't know it helps you understand why you like it, the games you like um in a way that sometimes you can just be like, I don't know, I liked it. Yeah, so it turned out um, that giant, the Giant Bomb community, which is where we got the bracket, has very different tastes in games than we do. Yes. And I would say a bunch of the stuff that ended up really higher on their list uh, did not, you know, make ours. Um, in particular, their winner, which was Mass Effect 2, runner-up for Dark Souls, is not at all <laughs> how no. it came down for us. So, I mean, there was a lot of love for Mass Effect 2 in that room, for sure. Yeah. There was no love for Dark... Well, there was limited love for Dark Souls right. in the room. Um, More so because people didn't play it. I mean, Skyrim made it far. Portal yeah. 2 made it far. That's good. You know, I still think that my game of the generation would have been either Red Dead or Skyrim. Mm-hmm. I think those are uh, great choices. You know, the, and, and those would be based on how I would define even even if i came up with a definition for, like for me what a game of the generation would be is something that it is representative of all of the you know effort and technological changes and scope that having a, a understanding a hardware consoles yeah um comes with I, th- I think you're right i think both of those games look at okay these games because of their big scope are taking advantage of the hardware that's come that's come along this generation but it's also looking at okay so we had kind of the big open world games start the prior generation tons of them tons of them this this generation yeah and whether you want to define open world as red dead or skyrim i think that both that both of those fits and i think both of those in kind of those two branches of open world are the apex of those Those, types of games that type of game exactly like you can even look at okay grand theft auto 5 looks better and may be better than red dead but it's an incremental leap like right. it didn't it didn't have the like oh whoa like red dead man is firing on all cylinders it, it's it, red dead felt really very different yeah so it definitely in the sense of let's have a game defining the generation i'm looking at both those games I'm like where do we go from here yeah exactly 
I don't know if we can continue to get away with this. Is this going to be something that just kind of, you know, falls by the wayside or, um, I don't, I don't think we're not going to see open world games, but I don't know if any of them are going to have the impact of a, a Skyrim or a Red Dead. Although if they wait long enough for the next Elder Scrolls game, who knows? Yeah. But you know what? In the end, Rock Band is not a bad answer. It's not. Uh, again, certainly defines the generation. Um, it's got lots of stuff about um, DLC, microtransactions, this kind of figuring out as they go along, how do we maintain a quote unquote, like yearly franchise, even though it wasn't yearly, but they constantly wanted you to buy more content, um, more instruments. Um, it has elements of social gaming and hardcore gaming. It builds upon stuff that had come before it. And it also feels like completely done. Um, yeah. It's, it is like the most game of the generation. It's the most. <laughs> yes, I agree. It definitely wins most game of the generation. So, should we get into it? Yeah, as much as we love brackets, we also really love lists. We love making lists. And while this is because of the number of entries, not an official the list. Correct. It is a list of our favorite games of 2013. Yeah, so the way we're going to do it is I'm going to read my top 10 from 10 to 1. Jay's going to read his top 10 from 10 to 1 and then we'll discuss you know surprising things that appeared on there the ordering etc um all right we'll just make it make it simple make it easy and again you and i can't play every game in fact i mean this year you played more more games 2013 games than i did i I looked through my list and it was just paltry yes uh i did I, i i ended up uh when i just wrote down every game i played it came out to about 18 19 um, some of those were easy to chop. Some of them were not. Um, we have a, a very late comer on the list. I bet you can guess. Yeah, me too. But, um, but, but yeah, so it, it was, uh, I, there, there are some big games missing, I would say, but other, more or less, I actually feel pretty good about the list. Yeah, there is in particular, there is one game on your list that I wish I had a chance to play. Cause it seems sure. like it'd be right up my alley. Um, and I just, I'm going to want to move one thing since since I made this list two days ago, uh-huh. I need to move something up a bit. <laughs> All right. Um, so my list from 10 to 10 to one, number 10 gone home. Number nine, the iPhone or iOS game eight, six, eight hack. Number eight brothers, a tale of two sons. Uh, number seven is guacamole. Number six, Rimmed Capsule, that was the Android, it's also available on Vita, and I think on iOS now, um, like a little strategy space building game. Number five, the DLC for Borderlands 2 that came out this year, which included Sir Hammerlock's Big Game Hunt and Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon Keep. Number four, the most recent edition, The Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds. Number three, Bioshock Infinite. Two, Anodyne, that's the kind of Zelda-like game that I talked about that reminds me of Olink's Awakening meets Fez. And number one, my game of the year was Grand Theft Auto V. I like it. Lots, lots, of, lots of good games on there. My list. Number 10 is Shin Megami Tensei Four. Number 9 is Anti-Chamber. Number 8 is The Stanley Parable. 
Number seven is Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag. Number six, Gone Home. Number five, Grand Theft Auto 5. Number four, The Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds. Number three, DMC, Devil May Cry. Ah. Number two, Bioshock Infinite. Number one, The Last of Us. Good answers. Yeah. Oh, oh, (laughs) jeez. This chair that I'm sitting in is wider than the desk it would go under, so I tried scooting in, and I just just smashed it. Catastrophe. Yeah. Fortunately, there's no spillage. Um, darn! I wish I could. Uh, I wish I could easily paste out my list. I've got them. Uh, actually, hold on. Let me share this document because I've. Can you just paste? I've, can you just paste it in? What the heck's going? On? It says I'm offline. You're how offline. is that? How is that possible? I don't know. I typed up all the games. Okay. Yeah, paste them in if if you don't mind. Um, well, so there is nothing that is on. Your list that is not on my list that I didn't play? Is that... Everything um, that is on your list that I played is also on my list, I believe. I think that's right. Okay, uh, there you go. You can I, see both of them now. I did get to play a little bit of DMC. I bought it uh, for super cheap recently. Yep. And boy, that... You're right. That game is awesome. That game... I, I kept... Like, it kept moving up the list. And when I thought about... I don't know if there's a game that had as much constant high intis- high intensity fun as DMC. The highs in that game are so high and the lows are not much lower and it just goes and goes and goes and goes. It's so well paced like the levels are these little 20 to 30 minute just chunks of craziness and then you kind of get a little bit of breathing room. I just, I'm surprised how good that was. And thinking it's a remake of a series I didn't much care about. You know, I played the original Devil May Cry. I definitely thought it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't like what I played at Devil May Cry 2, and I know that's not considered a very good game in the series, and kind of fell out of it. Um, but man, oh man, like, it's it's got, it's a good balance of button mashing, hack and slash, and complex, like, fighting game mechanics. Absolutely. That are really rewarding. Uh, so uh, one of the games that I played this year um, that came out pre- in a previous year would be was uh, Space Marine, Warhammer Space Marine. Space Marine. And, you know, I really enjoyed the combo system in that game. It reminded, mm-hmm. it obviously reminded me of, um, oh, not, what, uh, what's that Zelda-like series? It's the same thing. Dark Siders. Dark Siders. Yes, I kept thinking darkness. Yeah, Dark Siders. So... There is still room in my heart for some sort of like combo action, combo based action game. I generally, you know, I have no interest in character action anymore. You know, I don't want to play any of the God of Wars, the new God of Wars or anything like that. Um, And when I first started playing DMC, I was like, I don't, Jay, man, I mean, this may be good, but this doesn't seem to be interesting Uh because you only have one weapon at the beginning. Right. And you get the sword. you're, You're sorting. You're sorting and you're shooting. You get the guns pretty fast. Yeah. Um, and then within the first hour, they've given you like five different weapons. <laughs> it's crazy. They like do not stop. I was surprised. Like it was really breakneck borderline overwhelming, but not quite. Yeah. And you end, you end up with so many weapons, like tons of different guns, like the big, like two different hookshot things, two heavy and two fast weapons. You still have your sword. And, like, none of the weapons, 
you kind of get your favorites, but they're all useful. Like you never like stop using the big hammer you get at the beginning just because you get other weapons. Yeah. That makes sense. So that is that is the one game on your list that I played some of that is not on my list just because I didn't play enough of it. Right. My list is weird because my list includes a couple of what I would consider to be kind of random things like uh, Rimmed Capsule for yep. one and 868 Hack. But Rimmed Capsule was one of those games where when I just started, I started playing. If you want to envision it, it's like a space sim or a space station building game where all of the bits of your space station are shaped like tetris pieces that come in order so like you're given a a room shape and then you determine what that room is going to be and it's all like resource gathering and stuff and you're basically trying to uh expand your base to reach these four corners of the screen to uh mine the monolith that is there so all your little dudes are are going out there you're trying to grow your space station um and it was just one of those games where I I didn't want to put it down and I would I'd play for a half hour and lose and be like, all right, let's just back in like the same thing. Um, it really captured my attention in, in a, in a unique way. And I really, I think people should play it. I don't think that would make anybody else's top 10 list, but the way that that game sucked me in is the reason that it's uh, on my list here as number six. Um, also on that list, like I said, eight, six, eight hack. This is the, yeah. the rogue, the actual rogue like game. Um, for the iPhone and, and maybe I heard other really good things about that game. And it was, it's one of those games where I would start playing it before I went to bed and then two hours would pass. And I'd like be laying under the covers with my iPhone right up against my face. So the light wasn't bothering anybody out. Well, bothering my wife or dog, I suppose. Um, I'm like, Holy shit, where did time go? And that hasn't happened to me in a long time with an iPhone game. So it is, it is super cool. And that was my number nine. Yeah. I've got some couple of random ones low on my list, I guess. I love the Stanley Parable. I had to, this when this list was originally created, it was actually substantially higher. Mm-hmm. And I really had to check myself and say, okay, man, this definitely scratches a particular itch. I love the humor. I love the um, kind of chaos and helplessness you kind of feel in that game. It's the same reason Antichamber's on here. Um, although that's a, that's just a good puzzle game too, but I like, I don't know. I like the, that games are fucking with you. Um, it ended up lower just because it doesn't have the, the scope and the longevity, um, that some of these other games do. And, but, but I will say that though it is a short game, I, I think you can see all the endings in just about under two hours. If you don't count the crazy, like four hour, sure. Um, ending. Which go you look that up on YouTube? <laughs> yeah, totally. It doesn't. You shouldn't do that. Um, <laughs> like it's a it's a amazing joke that it's there, um, but it doesn't it doesn't hang. Uh, I think that that it can keep up its uh, reason for being these humor, these multiple endings, and they keep paying off again and again is really really impressive. Um, I think extremely highly of that game. My my. Uh not opinion of the game because I haven't played the new one, but my impression of the game and me wanting to play it is based on the fact that I played the original, like yes. right when it came out. And uh-huh. me too. And I didn't think anything of it at the time. I was like, this uh, is, I was like, this is really overhyped and kind of dumb. Um, no, I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, man, if you did not like that, however, uh, probably won't like this. However, it also felt like 
they had come up with a gimmick and hadn't figured out quite how to implement it. Um, yeah. and, and I think that with the, the nicer graphics, I mean, the Stanley parable looks really good and it yes. looks so significantly better than the mod, which looked like oh. just a crappy Gary's mod thing. It, um, it was, yeah, they were just reusing half-life two assets. Yeah. So I think that I might enjoy it more now. I did buy it, so I will play oh, good. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been super cheap on steam. Yeah. It looks much better. Some of the same endings are there. Um, they, they, they've, it's really been additive as opposed to like a whole like sequel or something. They, they definitely stayed with the mod at its core and gutted the graphics. It looks completely different. There's mm-hmm. no assets that are the same. Um, but some of the paths are like, you know, the, the, the whole kind of repeating theme of you enter a room and there's a left door and a right door. And this is, these are kind of the forks that, that, that kind of goes down the main narrative of the, like, if you listen, and by that I mean if you listen to the narrator the whole time and take all his suggestions, that's largely the same. Mm-hmm. But they've they've added like four times as many endings and all kinds of crazy stuff. Anyway, it's very worth playing. You should also have I said on the um, podcast, everybody should play the demo if you like the Stanley Parable. The demo shares nothing with the main game. Yeah, you did mention that. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, that's one of the coolest demos I've ever seen. You should play that. It's free, and it's short. Well, speaking of also, not well, not free, but also short, um, I only recently played Gone Home, which you had played a while back. Mm-hmm. Texted you after I finished playing it. So it's number 10 on my list um, and, and number six on yours, I believe. Yeah. That's right. Um, I, I liked that game, and I, I described it to you this way when I was kind of uh, debriefing you after I finished playing it. I said it was like a nice short story, like something maybe I read in a magazine. Mm-hmm. I was like, you, you get a good feeling from it. You, the yeah. the words were all great. Like, uh, clearly, like in the way that a, a magazine story can be well written because it is short in scope, um, and and be thoughtful. I, I felt that that game was the exact same thing. I didn't go bananas for it like a lot of people did, um, but it is certainly just like perfectly executed. Just a really fun time. Uh, it's yeah. fun to explore. I really like the more I thought about it, the more I liked how the game kind of messes with you and makes you think that it is a horror game yeah. or or like uh, some sort of, I don't know, there'll be some kind of violent outcome. And when it reveals itself to be a lot more earnest than that, I think that's kind of a neat, subtle reveal. Exploring the house and tell it like building the story yourself through found objects is interesting and fun like that is taking things that you know bioshock has done with the audio logs and just expanding upon it through a lot of audio and written logs as well as just you know found objects and right. stuff because it was a cool way yeah, to uh, experience a world because they're familiar objects you can immediately identify with them as opposed to if you're building rapture or or minerva's den or whatever um like other incarnations of this type of hunting object hunting game goes, those have to be very explicit about the symbols that they're using because they, you're in an unfamiliar place and you need to grasp what is going on kind of immediately. And gone home was able to do uh, that narrative environment storytelling much more subtly because it could use like familiar objects that, that grab your attention, um, whether it be everyone talking about you know loving the X Files VHS tapes or or anything else right. that was in the house, the fake um, Super Nintendo games, yeah, like that that stuff was all cool. I didn't. A lot of people went like 
gaga nostalgic for that kind of stuff which i thought was weird um, yeah i did i did not like um i thought that it was useful in the now part of it was like so i i liked the x-files as much as anybody and certainly like super nintendo all the like music punk stuff didn't really resonate with me right though it was helpful in informing who that character was yes but but i i didn't feel any twinge of nostalgia i do tell you the here's the best thing about that game when you pick up one of the cassette tape uh cases and then you manipulate the object so that like the case falls around and opens up and then you can read on the inside Uh uh-huh that's like the the first thing i did i was like i wonder if there's like something on the inside like written on the bottom because it's yeah when you made a mixtape that's what you used to do like write wrote all over the insert and so you'd like have a secret thing at the bottom that you totally could do that so good for them i like i like that a lot yeah um let's talk we should talk about the top of our list yeah so the the last of us bioshock infinite are i've been at the top for a while and that was a hard choice to make um as to which one was one and which one was two it kind of it kind of felt like when the last of us came out like it felt like when bioshock Infinite came out people were like well that's it yeah like, i good remember luck thinking everyone that. else is here i remember thinking that and then last of us came out and it was like Oh shit! Now we have to compare these games that don't make any sense to compare together. Mm-hmm. Um, what it came down to for me, like I thought, both games were a total blast to play. Um, I don't know if this is the most usual criteria, but I'm like, The Last of Us did things I had not seen before. Bioshock Infinite did things I had seen before in Bioshock. Mm-hmm. Better. And um, they evoke different things like the you don't get the sense of wonder and like going off the rails craziness like that ending of Bioshock Infinite feels like a roller coaster ride. Um, And I loved how it stuck with you and made you like want to watch it again and and think about the world. I like how it recontextualized the old game. The Last of Us like kind of is a slow burn that just like... (laughs) as I kind of hinted at uh, last time, it takes risks in that it rips agency away from the player in a way that all other games are determined to try to give back. Huh. That's interesting to be be like, like there's a moment very late in the game. that says you are not, you are not this character. You are not these characters. You are watching these characters play out. They, there is a very strong moment that mimics moments in other games where you feel like, well, I'm not going to do that. Like, where's the where's the left trigger? Good choice. Well, um, why can't I? Why can't I leave this room? Does it? That's clearly not what I have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that that helps put put the the main characters into sharp sharp focus and makes you think about actions you've taken the rest of the game and been like, oh god. Um, it makes you think about like th- the body count wrapped up in games, you know where. In Bioshock Infinite, I was not one of these people, but I understood the like. It seems a little disjointed. This like story of a world mixed with this first-person shooter. Like, what if I just wanted the story of the world? Yeah, the like violence. It doesn't bother me, but also doesn't contribute to the narrative, and that I, I can agree with. In The Last of Us, that is wildly untrue. Like the uh, the body count, the action sequences actually fit in to help define your two main characters. Um, it's worth saying how, how, how good the game looks, not just from like a, uh, you know, saw golf clap, technical achievement perspective, 
but in the way they're able to use facial animations to endear you to these characters and make all the characters in the game feel very believable. Um, and even aside from the you know personal story of the two main characters, it's a neat twist on the somewhat tired apocalypse tale to set it so far after the apocalyptic event um, that makes the world feel a very, very different place to explore than, say, The Walking Dead was. Um, it was a really special game that that stuck with me longer than, than any other game this year, and I liked it the more I thought about it. Um, it's, a, it's a heck of a game. It's a cool game. Yeah. It, you know, it's cool. Was it your first PlayStation 3 game that you played? Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually think it's the only PlayStation 3 game I've played, if you don't count Dive Kick. <clears throat> well, that's fair. I, it's kind of like the, the same way. You described it well when you were talking about the Game of the Generation stuff, trying to explain to me, and I guess Adam had played it, but I don't think Jamie Adam had not played, but oh. he had like read a lot about it and watched a lot of it on. Okay, yeah. So when you described it as like, yeah, you, you don't really... It's, it has the same quality that Uncharted 2 had, where you you look at it and it just seems like a typical you know x genre game but it's the the level of polish and attention to detail that really separates it and so after game of the generation i let that stuff stick with me so fortunately uh you will be bringing the last of us to magfest and i'll be purchasing it from you i will you'll be owning it and if there is a wrinkle they um they mentioned this on the giant bomb like game of the year stuff it is so the the first hour of the last of us is ridiculous then it kind of dips down it doesn't get bad but if you played the first three hours of The Last of Us, I can see why so many people don't ever pick it up again. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel bad. It just does not in any way feel special. It, it certainly looks great and it plays fine, but you're not given access to some of the more interesting gameplay mechanics that, that make the kind of combination like stealth shooting fun. Um, you don't know the characters yet, though they're certainly working up to that at that point. Um Listen, I played Final Fantasy thirteen, so well, I okay, okay. There you go. It I is can not, tolerate not, not anywhere close to that. Bad. <laughs> a few bad hours. Yeah, it's it still sucks, but I can right. I can tolerate that. So that's good. I I really want to play that game. You should. Um, let's see. Before I get to my game of the year and, and talk a little bit more about it, um, talk about a, a couple of things that are higher up on my list. So. I really liked brothers a lot. And the thing I liked the most about brothers, like it had uh, the ending of it did have that emotional payoff and mechanical payoff. Um, But I think about what it felt like to be manipulating the two sticks in the parts of the game where it was really just about like coordinating the motion of the two brothers. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the caves in particular, like you are, um, you're on you're on something like you're like dangling from something and you you keep having to like spin it around and the sensation of just moving the two sticks in unison and coordinating i can't think of any other game where i've had to do that for an extended period of time um and and i actually really liked that as a control scheme i thought yeah it sucked at the parts where you're running around and you can remember which brothers on which stick and you, they kind of bump into each other you know that this is kind of it kind of hook or kind of dumb but it never got in the way of the game itself. So brothers, particularly as a control thing made it as number um, eight on my list. And then another game on my list that is not on yours. Cause you'd have a chance to play it. Yeah. And I think, 
I don't know. I think you would really like this game. Yeah. Is Guacamelee. I, I do too. I want to, I want to say I brothers was a tough cut. Yeah. Um, I agree with everything you said. I thought the, the ending was great. The story and the storytelling were great. The controls were really interesting and well done. Uh, I just kind of, at the end of the day, I, I kind of respected it from afar. I thought it was only okay to play the bulk of that game. I thought the the puzzles were only okay. Like, they, they didn't seem to... When I got comfortable with the controls, they didn't seem complicated enough. Like, the ramp up wasn't that good. That's fair, yeah. There were parts of it that dragged enough for me to feel... Um, I don't know that that it, I not that I didn't like the game. I did like the game. I think it's a good game, but it but that ended up for me not not making the cut. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So Guacamelee. So Guacamelee. Guacamelee is the best Metroid game I've played in a very long time. Yeah. You know it it has the same level of quality that Shadow Complex had, and there are a lot of games that try to do the the Metroid style exploration get power ups to access new areas etc um and i you know, i played guacamelee on the vita but it was also it was cross by so you got it on the playstation 3 if you wanted it as well and i think that's where most people played it um, but i just i enjoyed having it on the handheld and it was a good reason for me to use the newly my, my newly uh purchased vita at the time right and it just through and through it exhibits that level of polish that you need out of a game that is trying to ape one of the best games of all time, Super Metroid. <laughs> so, like, when you need to live up to Super Metroid, you have to do a lot of things right. And and I think it did. And it has a good sense of humor. Um, I was able to ignore all the, the crappy internet references because I don't, I don't go to Reddit, so I didn't know what most of that stuff was, which I actually think was a blessing because yeah. you kind of start seeing it all over. Like, as I've learned some more of the stuff that's in there, I'm like, eh that's really like a really lame way to, to try to do humor is just like reference things from the internet. But, um, the original writing stuff is all really good. I, it's a tons of fun. Now that you have a PlayStation and a Vita, you should choose one of those platforms and you should totally play it. Yeah. I am I think definitely it's on sale right now. Actually. It's not, it's not, it's, oh, it's not. full price. I have looked at Dang. least as of yesterday. Um, but yeah, I'll be buying that. I only haven't bought it cause it's not on sale and I have 8 million games to play. Yeah, that's fair, but I'll get it. So uh, let's look at some of the other stuff from the the lower end of your list. Okay. Um, well, we'll go real fast. Yeah, Shin Megami Tensei Four, man. I I still want to play more of that game. Uh, I think a lot of my enjoyment is because it's my first foray into the series. But I think that that battle system is super tight. Uh, I love the way they make every encounter feel meaningful and scary, but. The higher difficulty is kind of um, counterbalanced by the fact that I can save anytime, anywhere I want. Um, it is relatively easy to go back to you know, the like a bar where you can heal yourself up. Yeah, you can. Uh, <laughs> um, I like the... For me, when you first look at the demons and fusing of the franchise, it feels very Pokemon esque, mm-hmm. but that quickly goes away when you see like the kind of leveling up arc that each demon has, where they're only designed to stay with you for several levels. I don't know if that's consistent with 
Persona or other games in the series. No, definitely. But I think I've talked about. Okay, so this idea that we have all these coolest shit looking demons, and you're going to learn how to use. You're not going to learn how to use a character as much as you are going to think about what abilities matter and which combinations of abilities work. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're going to try to persist as opposed to these individual characters. And you have to quickly abandon the fact that, like, I can't get rid of this guy. I use him all the time. When you learn, like, no. Like, by, nope, doesn't by, matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. Like, fuck that. Just learn which of the abilities do you use. Maybe try to preserve those. Yeah. The interface was really, really, really slick on the 3DS. It looks fantastic. Um, I just thought it was a great game. Well, speaking speaking of Shin Megami Tensei, um, I should say that one of the reasons that I did not get to play or did not choose to play a lot of 2013 games this year is because of finishing Persona 3 and then starting in on Persona 4. And in 2013, if I can estimate, I have like, I would say 160 hours between the two of those games. Jesus. Um, because I finished, maybe more, because I finished Persona 3 at the beginning of the year. Then I waited a while. Then I played Chrono Cross, and then I started in on Persona 4 Golden on the Vita. Um, I will tell you now. So you are, as I said, the proud owner of a PlayStation Vita. I am. A cool piece of hardware, and you are the proud owner of Persona 4 Golden. I will tell you, you should probably stop watching the Giant Bomb Endurance Run. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I still haven't decided if I'm going to play Persona 4 or not. You mean ever or now? Uh, ever. No, you own Persona 4. I own a lot of games. Listen, you own Persona 4. I'm telling you, I think you will really enjoy playing Persona 4. I'm not telling you I'm not going to play it. I'm just, I'm just saying. I was, <laughs> no, no, you no, were telling me. You were telling me exactly that. I said I'm not sure that I'm going to play it. Oh, okay. I'm not telling you I'm not going to play it. I'm telling you it, the decision has not yet been made. Either way, I think you should sit on the endurance run. I, I was actually I was actually on the PlayStation uh, Store looking up Persona Three Portable. Mm-hmm. So I might get that. That's still like twenty bucks though. I, I know you keep mentioning it goes on sale fairly regularly. Yeah. Um. So that I will definitely buy when it goes on sale. That um, that is actually cool because that is you know the way that I entered is I watched the giant bomb endurance run of persona four. And then right. I said, well, I don't want to just repeat what they did. So I'll try persona three. And I yep. played Fez on the, the PlayStation three, um, which gave me a different perspective into things. And then, you know, I, that game, because it was my first holds a very special place in my heart, right. but it is hard to deny that everything that is in persona four golden in particular, um, it was way better. It was way better. And, and yeah. And Persona 3 Portable does make a number of improvements to kind of streamline things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Persona 3 Fez is just will always be special to me. So I'm not going to say that you shouldn't play either of those two games. I should. do I do want to play a Vita game for real. I've probably spent, gosh, maybe no more than 30 or 60 minutes with the Vita. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if I like it. <clears throat> oh, man. I... I so so let's screen is fucking gorgeous. It's, like it looks looks beautiful. It no is denying it. Amazing look looking. Those can those control sticks, man. See, and I have those exact, things. Those things are junk. I have the opposite problem, which is I don't like the 3ds control stick. The 3ds control stick is okay. I will not defend that. Um, but but it does not. I don't know. I. <laughs> I like really actively dislike those Vita joysticks, man. That's funny because I think I think they're actually totally fine. Like they're not the greatest things in the world, 
But at this point, I don't have a whole lot of complaints with them. I, I also do and so it have may just played be... a bunch of games with the D-pad. Yeah, D-pad's um, good. <clears throat> it's a great D-pad. I think, I think it's just a matter of adjusting to it. Okay. You need to you know, give the Vita a chance. It is a very weird system, and the things that you will like about it will not be will. brand new Vita games. Um, you, it is a great kind of everything system. The downloadable indie games are cool. The ability for me in particular to play the PlayStation 1 games, because I did not have a PSP like yeah. you did. Yeah, I, I might do some of that. Hey, it's, con- it's pretty contr- controlling the PS4 does feel like magic. <laughs> that feels totally nuts. I was I played like ten minutes of Assassin's Creed Four on it. It totally works. Yep. It's um, it's a little laggy. That's fair. In that, in that if and uh, by that I mean <clears throat> it, it runs pretty smooth and it looks great. If I try to move real fast and like turn around or do a bunch of crazy stuff it gets the frame rate suffers. Hmm. Um, plus like that's uh, that, I don't know. That seems like a bad example. Cause that's not a game I'd want to play on the Vita. Right. But I might try out like Resogun or something that might actually work. Yeah. But yeah, like controlling the menus and stuff. It was pretty easy to hook up. Pretty cool. <laughs> um, let's talk about Assassin's Creed four black flag, which ended up at, uh, a modest number seven on my list. It's pretty good for an Assassin's Creed game at this point. Yes, there are. Okay. I think that game is very good. I would recommend to people hearing my voice that you should play that game. I'm not quite as impressed with it as other people are. Tempered by a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, the end is garbage. But the end <laughs> of all the Assassin's Creed games are garbage. I don't even know. At this point now, I'm the idiot for enjoying and expecting things out of the, like, animus, modern-day stuff. Yeah, what are you doing? I, I think the only thing, though, the fact that it's still in the game is, like, two middle fingers from Ubisoft. They should just take it out. Yeah. They should just, like, show a guy going into an animus at the beginning, and then it's a pirate video game. That's it. That's fine. But they hint at it. They, like, put lore. I'm, like, doing stuff on missions, like, figuring out all these mysteries, like, oh, what happened to Desmond? And they don't answer any of it, and it's all fucking nonsense. So I still feel like they are dangling the carrot enough that I feel okay being mad at Ubisoft. But they've done it so many times now, I definitely bear the responsibility of being frustrated by it. Yep. Um, hey, it's a fun as shit pirate game. Um, the, I, I, I think the ways that they've expanded on the boat stuff from Assassin's Creed 3 are fun as shit. Um, like navigating a big boat feels both bulky and difficult like you would think navigating a big boat would but also like arcadey and quick enough that it's still a fun video game to play and i think that's a remarkable achievement like it doesn't feel like i'm like driving a speedboat around or something like it still feels like i'm moving around a big old boat does that make sense Mm -hmm. um so all that stuff's great the core assassin's creed stuff is pretty fun um I'm I'm lamenting the fact that in both Assassin's Creed 3 and 4, they've gotten away from some of the Prince of Persia-iness that the earlier Assassin's Creed games have. Uh, like, what do you mean? So, both of those games are very horizontal, not linear. So, in Assassin's Creed, like the Ezio games, I am 
either diving deep down into the earth in tombs and caverns and okay, running yeah. around doing platforming stuff or going um, up, 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 up uh, onto massive towers and cathedrals and stuff and navigating my way in there. In three and four, there, and, and it's a choice. It's very much, um, you know, jungles and, uh, you know, short, small villages, pirating villages and stuff that is still really fun to navigate and jumping around trees and stuff can be really fun. But the mission designs, you know, have led themselves to these more like eavesdropping missions, these following missions that I don't, while they're way better in four than they were in three, this game just helps put in perspective. What a missed opportunity three was, man. Like, damn it. Like Uh, the, the most interesting setting for me has the shittiest gameplay. (laughs) So Um, I got four for Christmas. Uh, I haven't haven't had a chance to play it yet. It will be a little bit before I get to it, but hopefully it will beat out three, which I got for Christmas last year and is still sitting wrapped on my shelf. Nice. And probably will continue to sit there. You can just not play it. Just don't play it. Yeah. Um, But I I liked it enough. It's still a heck of a lot of fun to play. (coughs) Um, Impossibly big world to explore. Um. Yeah, I, I, I had a great time with that game. I had a really good time with that game. I don't, I don't know at this point. Like, I don't know what I want from an Assassin's Creed series. Like, they've kind of done so much with it. Would you be happy if they did one last game and answered all of the questions? But like, um, basically, like the plot game. I think, I think there are two more games. Uh, what I want is. I want a game set in the modern times, and then I want a game set in the future. Okay, I think those to me like that's the logical. Sure, thing that makes to sense. Do. The other, the other thing I would do is set a game in like Egypt or ancient Greece, like way long ago. I also think that would be interesting. Oh, you could you could raid tombs like some sort of tomb raider. I feel like they've been too narrow in their scope of. Like, we have this crazy, eternal conflict that's worldwide, and all we've really seen is the Mediterranean, and then, like... Continental Europe, yeah. Well... Oh, no, I guess not. Uh, no, the it's the Mediterranean would be, like, the, the first two series of games, yeah. and then it's, like, the, uh, you know, American coastline, like the Americas, yeah. I guess. The uh, Assassin's Creed 4 takes place, so you play as the grandfather of Connor. So it's a little bit before Assassin's Creed 3. And it's in the, like, I guess, Caribbean area. Okay? So a little bit south of, you know, where the Caribbean is. Sure. But it, but it still feels like the same, like... The colonies. The, his, the colonies in that, like, 100, 150-year span, those stories are linked. Like, from Boston at the north down to, like, the Central Americas. You know, there's there's a shared kind of history, things going out there of European um, colonization and immigration and stuff. So definitely, it, it feels like we, we expand this scope, man. Like, what's going on? Like, said, I don't know. That's fair. <clears throat> How about Japan? Oh, I think like feudal Japan would be fantastic. Um, you know, like ancient China, I think would be really interesting. What if you're playing in what seems like feudal Japan, and then you 
burst out of a window and it's modern day Tokyo. Oh, that sounds great. That sounds great. Well, good. I look forward to playing that. Um, let's see another one on my list. And this is the one you, you kind of called me on it, which is the borderlands two DLC. Yeah. That's look, that's a, both a great choice and a lame choice. And here's, and I specifically say the DLC because it's not like, Oh, I just played more borderlands too. But if a game like eight, six, eight hack, which I played on my iPhone for basically four days and have, haven't touched since makes this list, then I think it's totally okay for, the the content that they've put in particularly tiny tina but tiny tina's assault on dragon's keep which Great. we both we both enjoyed we thought it was really clever and creative a good absolutely it did not just feel like more borderlands even though it was more borderlands um you know i kind of felt like sir hammerlock while very good dlc and i think that most of the dlc has been better than the stuff in the main uh game uh, S- story-wise without any question those those are significant chunks of new things that you know people put time and energy into playing or Mm -hmm. into making and and i have enjoyed so i i do think that even though borderlands 2 is a game that is now a year old or a year and a half old um that's that that kind of stuff still belongs on here so tiny tina is really good Cool. Uh, the other stuff that we don't have that's overlapping. So number two on my list is this game Anna Dying. Which, yeah, yeah. Which I really, really loved. I this think, is the like a uh, Game Boy Zelda E game. Exactly. Like the screens on it are are very small. So you're you know you're moving from screen to screen like you do in a Zelda game. But it reminds me more of Link's Awakening than it does of you know say a Link to the Past. And I played this a couple months after playing Fez, which I. I didn't like Fez as much as other people did. We've talked about it, mm-hmm. so I won't go into it. But I will say that this kind of satisfied that that itch for me, which was puzzle solving to find collectibles in the environment and a world that is kind of weird. And it doesn't tell you a whole lot of what its story is, but clearly in Anodyne, like some shit went down in this world, and you are you are getting these little windows into into that. Uh, it has fantastic music great graphics it is not too long it's like four and a half five hours and okay. it is personally it, while it's not the best zelda game of the year it is my favorite zelda game of the year so cool it's only five bucks right now on steam i think actually most people i know on steam own the game because i clicked I on own it. The, I own it clicked on the page and like the list was huge so at least word is getting around but i really loved anodyne i need to i'd like to I've got a lot of the little games like that. Anodyne would be very high on my list that like, Oh, these PC small PC games that I should just sit down and like bang out. Man, another PC game on my list that is on your list here. It's antichamber. Antichamber rules. Antichamber I, is so good. This seems like the, I don't know why I haven't played it yet. Oh my is, God. It, does it, it work on Mac? Maybe that's why I haven't played it. It does not work on Mac. That's why I haven't played it. I own um, it. Oh, I hope someday it works on Mac. Um, I, you know, I'll, I'll sit down at a PC at some point, but this seems like right up my alley. It looks incredible. And every time you figure out a puzzle, like you just, you just feel like you just want to like clap at the game. You're the smartest person in the world there or like, no, you feel like in every sense, the game's smarter than you. So there's, Oh, okay. Okay. So there's, let me tell you about one of my favorite, like fucking with you puzzles. So you go in a, in a, a big empty room. And there's a tiny little square at the top and you look up and it says 
don't look down. And you're like, oh, and you look down and there's like a crazy pattern on the floor. And then the floor like collapses under you and you fall down. So then you're like, fuck. And you're like at a room you're in before. Mm -hmm. So you go back to that room and I did that a couple times. I'm like, how do I, what do I need to do to go? Cause it, there's a big map and it clearly shows you like, nope, there's an empty path in this room. So I look up and it says, don't look down. And I'm like, wait a minute. So I leave my camera view up and I walk backwards through the door I came out in and I'm in a new room. Huh. And, then, and then there's a panel on the wall that says, sometimes you're being given clues even when you don't think you are. <laughs> and I'm like, you son of a bitch. God damn it. And, uh, and like you can look back in that room and the big like scary pattern is on the floor, but the floor isn't collapsing yet because you didn't look down. That's awesome. God, it's like. That's cool. Uh, and at, at different turns, like there's there's that again and again and again. Uh, I want to play that game. It's so clever. The way it like screws with perception and just ignores what makes the game so crazy is that it just doesn't care about having a logical layout to rooms. Like like it, the the layout of the game world wouldn't make sense wouldn't make any sense in real space you couldn't physically build the mm-hmm. like game so you have to kind of throw out reference points and just kind of go with the game and let it kind of hold you by the hand and take you through different um, different puzzles sounds super cool so cool so great uh, okay you already talked about Bioshock Infinite. I echo everything you said. It is my number three and was your number two. We talked a lot about it. Yeah. Uh, it's great. Let's talk about my my game of the year, and then we'll okay. talk about the thing that both of us has most recently played. How about that? I like it. Sure. My number one, your number five, Grand Theft Auto V. I am shocked that you picked this game. Not that I think it's a bad game. I do not in any way. But you were down on this game for a lot of playing the game. Yep. I remember when I when I beat this game... You were, I forget how far you were, substantially into the game. Sure. You, I, didn't, I didn't know if you were going to finish this game. Here's the thing. The highs of Grand Theft Auto V are so high that I was willing to overlook the parts of it that I didn't like. I just kind of like gave myself over to it. There were some frustrating missions. There were some weird pacing issues. But when I was in a story mission, either doing a heist or, you know, Trevor comes up to Michael and suddenly we're in a helicopter and we have to go do some crazy shit that I have no control over. Like I, you know, I didn't even get myself involved in it. And all of a sudden I'm doing it. That part of the game was such a roller coaster. I had a phenomenal time with it. Um, the, you know, the city is, is gorgeous, but I really liked the countryside in particular. It's kind of like the stuff I liked out of, of red dead. And I think they learned a lot from what it means to have a big open space and try to do something with it. Um, and I like as a complete package, the fact that I turned around on it, like halfway through from being like, yeah, this is a good game, but I don't know if I want to play an open world game anymore to just like absolutely loving the, the main part of that game uh, is why it's my number one. Yeah, that game, we were talking before about open world games and. Um, the kind of limitations, like where do you go after Red Dead and Skyrim and stuff? Grand Theft Auto Five said, "Let's just make the very best one of these games you've ever made." Like the mi- the mission design is so, God, they're so well constructed. They they seem 
super elaborate. Like you said, when when things would go off the rails midway through, you know, you thought you started something small, and then like there's a plane crashing, you need to you need to catch it, mm-hmm. or oh shit, drive this motorcycle onto this train. Like what? Yeah. Oh shit, we're we're skydiving off of this building onto the back of a truck. It's like that stuff was all really cool. And so if I had to like objectively say like what the best games of the year were, Grand Theft Auto Five would probably not be as as high. And okay, it, but that's not what we're doing. It shocks me that it is not on Giant Bomb's top ten games of the year list. Like that that seems really strange to me. It seems like it seems like an omission for <clears throat> um a game people like so much. I find it an interesting question that, you know, Jeff has said several times in several places, if GTA online was out at the time he reviewed that game, the review score would have been lower and he would not have thought of the game as highly, which to me is bananas. Yeah. Like I, um, I haven't spent a lot of time in Grand Theft Auto online. Um, I, I know there were a lot of bugs when it launched, um, and I, I don't know how universally loved it is. Adam loves it. He does. Um, but w- whether I end up playing that game or loving it or not loving it or think it's okay, I don't really know wh- why that would impact my feel of the single player game at all and mm-hmm. the single player game. So here's an example. All right. The Last of Us has multiplayer. Never seen it. Never touched it. Probably never will. I don't know why, like, that would impact my feelings on the game. Like, it has just no bearing in right. in any of that. Like, if a game has extra stuff that you don't care about, I don't know why you need to take the package as a whole. Like, does yeah, this segment of the game ma- merit enough quality, merit enough price? I, I, don't, I don't know. That, that That is a great question. It's like you're not being forced to play or spend half of your time playing GTA online. If you were forced to play GTA online to get things in the game to advance the story, that would be a way different story. That's that. Yeah, that would suck. But you know, whatever percent of the package that you want to consider the campaign to be like, that is plenty enough to recommend that game to someone to buy at full price. Sure. So I, I think that's a weird reason to take it off. I don't know if they want to say like, Hey, these other games are more, did more unique things, did more things we'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I guess in that sense, it, it makes sense that it dropped off the list. Yeah. It's cer- certainly a matter, you know, of taste in those cases. Um, right. So my one question would be to you is GTA five, number five on your list because there were things you didn't like about it. Or is it just because the, the one through four positions were games that you just enjoyed more? One through four are games I just enjoyed more. I don't have a whole lot negative to say about Grand Theft Auto V. Um, I I like that game through and through. Uh, You know, I thought the the single player stuff was the best that I've ever seen in a Grand Theft Auto game. I thought, you know, like you said, the graphics were great. The world was really fun. um, Had the right scope, like the characters. Mm -hmm. Um, I I just think these other four games are better. That's fair. Totally fair. All right. So here's the big one. Number four on both of our lists, the, the most recent comer edition, uh, Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds. I can't stop playing this goddamn game. Me neither. I have, I have two more sages 
Okay, so you have four sages. Uh, yes. Okay, so I have... So I, I didn't start playing it until the the tw- 26th or 27th. Yeah. Maybe. And I have, I have two sages, and I have the tempered sword now. Nice. Good for you. So, uh, do you have the blue mail? No. Oh, you need to get the blue mail. I... Th- I where was the blue mail? Uh, this is why this is the best Zelda game in a long time. Yeah. It, okay. So, since A Link to the Past, there have been good Zelda games, and there have been mediocre, poor Zelda games. Yes. Okay. Ocarina and Wind Waker have been great. I like Twilight Princess, but I can see why there's problems there. Some of the three, some of the DS Zeldas, I didn't think fired on all cylinders. Mm-mm. But even when the good one comes out, like Skyward Sword, there's just there's people are tired of it. Yeah, there hasn't been a Zelda game since A Link to the Past that didn't hold your hand. And it's not about every Zelda. So this Zelda does things like, hey, you can do the dungeons in any order, and you get all these. You, you can rent all the items up front mm-hmm. and that's important and that's great but i think it's more than that i 100 percent agree with you because it's remembering the sense of discovery that you had in the original zeldas that it's rekindling yep i was describing to my wife that a link to the past and we, we both put um a link to the past on our like top moments or whatever in games yes. the list that we did recently which was going to dark world, but a link to the past is the first game that I can remember feeling a sense of wonder while playing. And it has, it certainly has to do with age. You know, we were like just old enough that we were, we could maturely like understand the world that it was existed in. Right. Um, but it's hard to recapture that. And, and this game did this, this game absolutely does. It's things like in in the other Zelda games, even when you're like, yes, this game is well designed and constructed, I rarely found myself stumbling upon things. Mm-hmm. Here, I find like every other step, I'm like, well, there's a let's, there's a cave, let's just go in it, and then oh, oh my god, there's a puzzle here, and I get a hundred rupees, and rupees yep. matter because yes. you got to buy all those weapons. Um, and, and you're like, okay, I, I just stumbled upon this cave, and you know, I can hunt the treasure in here, or I can put a little pin drop in it, like on the map on the, the touchscreen on the bottom, yep. and come back to it later. Like, like I found it. Let's just. It's kind of like when you're when you discover a place in Skyrim, and the little icon appears in your map, and you feel really good about just seeing something. That's, that's exactly right. That's the that's way the, I feel when I explore this map. I'm like, oh man, here's another like crack in between, uh, you know, high rule and low rule. Let's just that, go through it, get it on the map. That's such a great comparison because like Skyrim, you know, the like big places you need to go. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're just straight up like, yeah, here's where all the dungeons are. Yeah, Big X's, big X's. Like we're going to tell you how to get to them, which by the way is going to be really complicated. And by the way, you're going to like on your way there, find a thousand million things you can look at. Yeah. So you're right about it's complicated to get to these places. Cause it's not just about, Oh, I have to go to, I have to have the item to get to the dungeon. Like there's still puzzle solving or, you know, the equivalent of platforming or whatever you want to call it uh, in the game, even if you have the hook shot to get to the place where you needed the hook shot to get to. So it's not like, oh, I have the hook shot. I can go up Death Mountain and, and get to this X area. It's like, no, yeah, I get across that bridge, but also I still have to you know, activate stupid. the dungeon, find the thing, like wrap myself around the back of a rock and find a, a warp point so I can go back yep. between the two worlds. Yada, yada. 
those stupid fire breathing guys that do three hearts of damage. Oh, that's why you need the blue mail. I know. I gotta get. I gotta look that up. But even just like I, I randomly picked a dungeon. I I got into the thieves like cave. That was the first one I found. Yeah, that's uh, that is the easiest dungeon. It was pretty easy. Like there's riddles to solve to get in that were pretty easy. And like in the middle of that dungeon, they're like, "Oh, here's a piece of ore. You can use it to upgrade your sword." I'm like, oh, "What?" Yep. So then I'm like, all right, I gotta, I gotta run and go to the blacksmith. He's like, oh, I need two pieces of ore. I'm like, no, damn it! All right, all right, where do I? Mm. And that's that gotta is the thing. Give me some ore. Gotta give you some ore. It's not just the nostalgia for a link to the past, which is a game that I love. It is the fact that there's all this latent knowledge for having played a link to the past, where you're like, there should be something like this. Seems like something I should be able to do. I should be able to upgrade my sword. And you're like, okay, right. in A Link to the Past, like, I remember I had to, like, bring the smithy from the dark world back to the light world. Right, and, exactly. And then remember he takes your sword for a while and yeah. you don't have a sword? I'm like, oh, is that going to happen again? Yeah. No, it doesn't. Or in the Thieves' Dungeon, if you remember in A Link to the Past, so you get to the bottom of the Thieves' Dungeon and you're supposed to, like, bring that person out to the, to the exit because they're like, oh, help me. Uh, yes. Yep. And then you bring them out to the exit and they hit the light and they turn into a monster. So. In the thieves' dungeon in Link Between Worlds, you rescue a woman who, had, like a thief, who had been like locked up or something, and I kept waiting for her to turn. Like I just, I had that memory of like, oh man, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And no, it never did. But it was right. the fact that I spent the whole time anticipating like anticipating shit to go down. Yeah. Well, I love the way they play with nostalgia, even in stupid, funny ways. Have you found her again? No, not yet. So she is. She lives in a little cave somewhere, and when you go in. She's like wearing a mask. Like, hey, remember me? It's like I'm this thief. I found this chest over here. You're like, you can take the contents inside, but don't tell anyone. It'll be a secret to everybody. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, all right. That's the man. That's that's the right way to evoke that. Yeah. Then you get a hundred rupees. Oh, man, and the re- it is the the rental and the buying thing for accessing all the items like when you when i first got the chance to get the items i was like i'm gonna rent everything let's see what, what i need that's what i did but then you die and you're like all right crap. This, this does not make sense so you know you you, you save up for something like okay <sighs> i really want the upgraded i really want the fire rod like that seems really useful and actually yeah. the fire rod proves to be one of the most useful things in the game so, right. but that's 1200 rupees like you will get that during the course of playing a dungeon but it is like that sensation that not only when you finish the dungeon, do you get the heart, do you get the, the sage, but you now have the money to go back and just like buy one of the things that you've had your eye on for a while. I've, I've been doing some rupee hunting. Like there have been times where I've got five or 600 rupees. I'm like, that's not that far away from 800. Let me yep. go get some. So when, when you first get an item half off, I was smart enough. I bought the ice rod because I'm like, that's double price. So I was ah. like, the savings are incredible. Damn it. You were so. So I bought, I haven't bought the fire rod yet though. Oh. So I bought the I have the ice rod. I have the um I bought the arrows. Mm-hmm. I bought the bombs mm-hmm. and I bought the hammer. And I've upgraded. I have the nice bow and the nice bombs. Nice. Okay, so in the game um there are these little creatures called my mai which are like little squids or snails or something. Yeah, whatever. And there is a mother my mai in a cave somewhere who says, "Oh, all my babies are lost." So they're basically collectibles around the overworld environment. Um which is cool because it gets you to explore the environment where, you know, you can, as Link, you're able to merge into a wall to be a flat 2D thing and you can move along that surface in any, any which direction that it goes. Um, 
And so it gets you to ex- explore the environment because you're like, oh man, I see like that little squeaky thing up there, like up high. I'm going to follow this wall around and see if there's like a staircase that goes up and some way I can get to it. So exploring the world is not only just the the overworld that you see, but it's also the geometry of the world. And then right. if you collect one of those, then you can upgrade one of your items. So uh, I still don't even own the boomerang. Like who cares? No, I haven't been, haven't been using it. I rented a couple times, but I upgraded the uh, the arrows because it gives you triple arrows. Which, dude, yes, I was I w- I didn't even know about that. I just like man, okay, again, so smart because you don't have like stocks of arrows and bombs. I'm fine for the first time in a Zelda game. I'm using arrows like a lot. Oh yeah, to cause... shoot people. So I was like, well, I'm just using these. All that's the first thing I upgraded to the like quote unquote nice mm-hmm. level. And I was like, oh, triple arrows. You're so powerful. And then I, I upgraded the upgraded fire rod is great because it uh, like flies for like a further distance with this big column of fire, Ooh. which is super useful in dungeons. Um, I, I still there's like big rocks and big, big rocks with cracks in them. That's why I upgraded the bombs, mm-hmm. because I felt like the bombs would then be able to blow them up and they can't. Oh, no, you got to uh-huh. you got to think back to your link to the past knowledge for those, buddy. Oh, man. Yeah. But I still have not figured out how to get the the Titan glove or whatever the equivalent is to pick up the big boulders. Right. So I figured there's going to be an upgraded glove at some point. Yeah. Um, But it's cool because, you know, each instead of collecting those items in the dungeons, each dungeon, like you said, has some other thing that is beneficial to you, whether you find a piece of ore so that the two of them, you can upgrade your master sword. And then then again, uh, I found the blue mail in one of them. In one of them, I found something that uh, increased the amount of magic meter that i had which is oh god that sounds so good yeah it becomes extraordinarily useful for traversing really long distances um and then you know it's 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 a like more room for error too in some cases with some of the platforming stuff but i I, i'm playing with the 3d on and it looks really good with the 3d on particularly in dungeons i don't know if i need in the overworld um but there's a lot of like the puzzles require depth Mm -hmm. and having the 3d actually like makes it make sense like okay that, that helps that thing is below me i can jump onto it from here or i need to get up onto the thing above me it's um it, it really does it does matter it's, this game pushmo and mario 3d land all used it to that same effect with these like depth puzzles mm-hmm. and it's really smart like it's it totally it is a smart and effective use of that technology it's awesome it's awesome so good it's a great right, game that, that's it for that's it for this podcast i'm gonna go please out on my body bye-bye All right, games of the year. Man, the the more I talk about Zelda, the more I want to move it up. Um, so Zelda's <laughs> oh, Jay actually, Jay actually did leave. Sorry, I'm back. Okay, all right, I gotta. Uh, we did get an email from a uh, friend of the show, good friend of the show, Campbell, and he writes, "Enjoy this the list over your holiday break." Here's the theme. I'm still playing Chrono Trigger, and it's still awesome. Here are five things I think you should know about my experience as a good friend of the show and first-time player in 2013. It says, first, an update on my progress. I'm on the Faded Hour chapter, rolling with a party of Chrono, Marl, and Frog. The only side quest I've done in this chapter is the Sunken Desert. Now, the list. We can can alternate. You want to read the first one? Sure. Um, Number five, the music in Chrono Trigger is great. I didn't really understand that until actually playing the game since a lot of the music's impact hinges on the things occurring in-game. I don't get a lot of chances to listen since I mainly play on the trolley to work, but when I do, it's awesome. Yeah, Chrono Trigger, one of the best soundtracks of all time. Totally. Yep. And, and yeah, definitely fits the theme of the game. 
Number four, my complaints. I found the game to drag quite a bit in two places, prehistory and zeal. Both have a lot of travel and backtracking that seems unnecessary. And Prehistory, I completely agree. Yeah. And what's up with the land bridges? They're such a waste of time. The only thing I wanted to say about the game is it's bad at directing players. That's why I've previously started and stopped playing half a dozen times up until now. That's a pretty valid criticism. That's are, completely valid. Yeah. There are still... Even, th- even, even now. Replaying. Uh, even replaying it. When, I, when did I do that? Earlier this year? Late last year? Mm-hmm. Recently. Uh, I needed to walk through a couple points to be like, where do I go now? Number three, I finally know what the heck a Chrono Trigger is. <laughs> also, Death Mountain is kind of lame with its pseudo-platform mechanics and combination of Lavo Spawn slash no save points. Yeah, that is, a, that is a really tough part of the game. Number two, Robo is awesome and all, but I'm sorry, Jay, he's way too slow. Yeah, you're, look, you are right. I've, I think I've made peace with this fact during my last playthrough. He's he's still the most lovable character of all of the Chrono Trigger characters. Mm-hmm. He he gets a little bit more useful after his side quest and stuff, meaning he gets less slow. Still, definitely one of the weakest, if not the weakest, character in battle. Number one, the smallest moments in that game are amazing. I was inspired to write this the list mainly because I had just finished witnessing Luca's troubled past the way that is built into restoring the sunken desert as a side quest is awesome. And the way the player experiences in the game, the player experiences it in the game is both amazing and heartbreaking. Totally. Yeah. Just, just you play some Chrono Cross. I was about to say you should probably play Chrono Cross <laughs> all the way to the end. It's phenomenal. It's, That's great. It's, it's awesome story stuff. Yep. Who says, so with that, I'll keep playing. And he asks, any advice for me before I take on Lavos? What level should I be? Merry Xmas. I forget which level. If you do do all of the side quests, like the, the they're not side quests, I guess, but once the game opens up, yeah. I guess where you are now, if you do all of those, I've never had any problems taking on Lavos. Nope. I would say so long as whoever's in your party has their final uh, tech skill. Right. Um, you know, Luminaire or, or whatever they, any of the other ones are, then you'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. It is less of a difficult battle than it is just a time-consuming battle. Like, that is a long final boss. Totally. Um, so any improvement that you can do in leveling up just makes, that shortens that. Yeah. Chrono Marl Frog is a pretty good party. Um, I might uh, Chrono Marl Magus. Yeah. That's a good part. You could yeah. do it with any party. Yes. Pick your favorites. It makes it rewarding. Yeah. I've beaten the game with Robo in my party twice. So you can pick any party. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so we got that one email. But you and I love answering listener questions. Isn't that right? That's right. We do. Uh, so I had an idea. I didn't really feel like putting out a call for questions. But I still wanted to take some email. So, what if we what if we stole somebody else's somebody else's email? What if what if we were able to get into someone else's inbox and answer those questions? So, Jay, would you bring it home with? Are you saying you might want us to read and answer some emails? Emails. That's right. So we have taken our most relevant and favorite questions from the most recent edition of the Giant Bombcast, which was their all email end of the year spectacular. Yep. 
uh, we have typed them up, the questions up word for word as they were read on the podcast, and we will be answering them. This is, this is great. I was I was listening to the podcast and I was I was skateboarding on my way to school and I thought wouldn't it be really dumb if we could were do you, this? Were you listening to the podcast like through a boombox you were holding up to your head? <laughs> yes, big ass jam box. Skate, skateboarding to school. I got I got my jans poured on. I got my LA light sneakers going. No, BK Rashtag. Fl- <laughs> Sorry. You got your you have your slap bracelets going on, neon colors. Yep. Uh, so yeah, here are here are our favorite questions from the most recent edition of the Giant Bombcast, which we will answer for you. Great. All right, Jack from Florida writes in and says, "Since Knack isn't getting good reviews, are you worried about the architecture of the PS4? Since Mark Cerny is the man behind both, I've noticed a lot of love for Mark Cerny all over the internet since the PS4 event back in February, and I was generally wondering what you think of the man, given his rich background in the gaming industry. Seeing Knack not being the second coming of Crash Bandicoot is a letdown." Um, I think the first coming of Crash Bandicoot was a letdown. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with age. <sighs> yes. Um, but it, it came out even though the PlayStation 1 ended up being a pretty great console. When they launched with that alongside, like, they're like, this is our answer to Mario and Sonic. I was like, nope. No, it's not. Yeah. Even as a, even as a 10-year-old. I was like, I don't think so, buddy. Yeah. Um, uh, no, like... Uh, I guess in in a general sense, um, the fact that a console has a shitty launch game doesn't hasn't been a very good predictor about the quality of that console. No, not at all. And like, and and you know, it is different in this case where the person who was working on the hardware had such a, a hand in, or it was said to have such a hand in one of pieces I know. of software. With somebody that high up, I can't imagine at this point in his career how much of a um, like low level. Like, I don't know what impact he has on any game mm-hmm. in the in the even the last ten years. You know, thinking about the Jack and Ratchet and Clank series, which are good series. Besides a very high level like direction, yeah. Um, I know people have said that that game is meant to be intended for kids, and fair enough. But kids' games shouldn't be shitty games, and that looks like a shitty game. So I don't want to apologize for it in that way. In fact, I don't really want to apologize for it at all. It looks like a piece of junk. But I don't think those two things are connected. I think even if the PS4 ends up being a big failure, I don't think you can point to Mark Cerny and be like, oh, well, <clears throat> yeah. this, is, this is the reason that that did not work. Uh, you have a PlayStation 4. Do you like it? Yeah, I do. Does I think it seem, it's great. seem pretty good? Yep. I think it's an outstanding system. There's your answer. Um, and again, that's there's an asterisk there in that obviously the software library is pretty pretty sad at this point, but everything, all the trappings around that are great in the way that when I look at other systems, in fact, most other systems, I'm like, no, this totally sucks. Like the PS3. <laughs> True. All right. Uh, Jim writes in and says, if you had the ability to kill one franchise off forever or have a sequel to any game ever, which would you choose? I think we should do it like they did on the podcast and and pick one of both. Um, killing off a franchise is hard. I'm trying to think of like something that at this point it's either it's either like do you want to like chop it off at its peak and just be like yeah that, we're done with this or 
has it gone on too long and you just want to put it out of its misery? There's there's a lot of franchises that I think should take a long, long, long break. I think Call, Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto. Um, but even Grand Theft Auto, like Grand Theft Auto takes breaks between games. Like Yes. Um Party wants to say Assassin's Creed, but like not really. Like they uh they've kept the quality up to a reasonable level and they have the mechanics built in to substantially reinvent themselves each time. They often don't, but um hmm. You know, I kind of wish that they would kill off Pokemon. I think they should stop trying to to make that Pokemon game over and over again. I would be willing to listen if they wanted to say, oh, this is an entirely new game. But when people talk about Pokemon X and Y, like fixing all the things in the series, I just can't imagine how that could be any different from any of the other Pokemon games that I've played. So I I would be okay just saying we're, we're done with Pokemon. I, I'd be, I don't know if it's, I guess it's a franchise. I think there should never be another Bioshock game. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I, I don't think that is a series that even taking time off would be valuable later on. No, I, I don't, I want those people to make more good games, but yeah, they do do not need to be hinged to the Bioshock universe, which, you know, at this point, the Bioshock universe is infinite universes. So that's almost like a lazier thing to do. If you're going to do anything more than just DLC, like, Oh yeah, we could set any, like literally anything in this universe. Um, so why not just make it an entirely new game? Yeah, I'll say uh, I'll say Bioshock. A sequel to any game ever? So inspired by uh, Zelda A Link Between Worlds, I'm going to say I want a sequel to Super Mario World, which you could argue they have never made. Not an actual sequel, no. Like, no. you want something set in, in Dinosaur Land again? Or... I want a game that looks and plays like that. Okay. Yeah, Super could... Mario World 2 does not look and play like that. Nope. That... E- even the excellent Super Mario games that have been in three dimensions don't look and play like that. The yeah. previous games, maybe Super Mario Brothers 3, don't really look and play like that. No. Um, I'm trying to... What would I like? You know, because there, there are certain games that I think of where I'll be like, yeah, I would love to have you know, the sequel, because I want to see like what else is happening in that world. Um, like I, it'd be cool to see like what else they could do with Chrono Cross, like where they could go from there. Oh, okay. That's a great answer. Yeah, totally. And, and I think now with in particular, like if they could spend the actual effort on, on a game like Chrono Cross and put real money into it and not have Mm -hmm. it be rushed at the end, that that would be a cool thing to see. I think more so than Chrono Trigger. I think Chrono Trigger is, is good as a standalone game. Uh, and we talked about it on the the Chrono podcast, like what we would like to do with it. But I think Chrono Cross in particular has has potential. Uh, yeah, like get the bio, get all right. Here's what you need to do. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. You need to you need to get Ken Levine, team him up with Square Enix, and make the third Chrono game. Yeah, right. Like some of the things want, that we I really like about game. Bioshock are the kind of speculative fiction stuff that is in Chrono Cross. Yep. You know, just just think through that plot and then execute on it. Um, another one that is like kind of weirdly specific and has had a sequel, but I did not like the sequel as much. So I want to see a real sequel to the first game. I would like to see another uh, Battlefield Bad Company game. Bad Company uh, 1. 
oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> like, like in the way that one was one, not in the way that two was a, a follow-up to one. It's kind of dumb, but like I, I generally don't have interest in the shooters anymore, and so it takes a certain type of environment, shooter environment for me to, to actually want to play one of those. I, I like, sh- I like pointing at stuff. And I like shooting at stuff as evidenced by borderlands. So maybe bad company. Cool. Good answers. All right. <clears throat> James and Abu Dhabi writes, Nope, then, you skip one. Oh, you're right. Spencer writes in and says, what's the point of game of the year awards? I think like we said before, it's uh it's a little silly, especially when um, it's more than just your personal list. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it's the exercise is really, really useful in making you articulate what you liked and did not like about the games that mm-hmm. came out last year. And, and hopefully inspire people to go check out games they may have missed and maybe put your interests and what you want to see from games in the future into, into sharper focus. I think that's really useful. And, and for me, you know, ranking the games as an exercise is more about not like which one was my actual favorite. Um, but if I were to recommend to someone in order, the things that I think they should play, if I had to like prioritize it somehow, right. I would say like, yeah, if, if you could only play one game of 2013, I think that should be grand theft out of five. Right. And, um, and, and even then it's like, okay, so I have Zelda at four and grand theft auto five at five. This seems a little arbitrary, right? And, you know, ask me on a different day. Maybe I'll pick a different one. Do I think that Zelda is better than Grand Theft Auto V or vice versa? I'm not sure. Right. But that's how it that's how it all settled out. Yep. It just me. you look at a list and it feels right to you. You're just like, yeah, OK, I like the way that looks. All right. So now James in Abu Dhabi writes in, says, I've just finished packing away my previous gen games and now have an almost empty shelf to start fresh with. It occurred to me that I've always sorted my shelf games by publisher as this keeps most game series together. However, explaining this to confused friends is met with an egregious amount of eye rolling. But is there a better way? How do you sort? How do you sort your shelf? No, you have to say it right. Oh, how do you short yourself? Sort your shelf games. <laughs> I like the answer that John Bomb guys gave. Alphabetical, and then when there's a series, then you like just stick with that in series mm-hmm. order. The numbering. Um. I do it a little differently. So I tend to group my games and by system. Well, yeah, obviously that's the top level category. First, you separate out your Xbox and PlayStation and 3ds and Vita and whatever games. Um, I, so I tend to group my games based on genre. Um, so like all my shooters will be together in, and then of course, like in order in the number of series, um, or and like games together. So I actually, I have pictures because I like to, to know which games I have. If we ever need to talk about them, I took pictures of my, my game shelf before I left home. Um, so I have that here and like my Xbox game shelf, it actually starts with halo two, which is just because I don't have that many extra, uh, Xbox original games. Right. And then, you know, the halos. Then I have the call of duties, the gears, borderlands one and two, the Bioshocks, the Fallouts, then Skyrim, Orange Box and Portal, like the, all the Mass Effects, and then Dead Space, Dead Space 2, because those also take place in space. You know, I keep my RPGs together. Um, strange. This is strange. I keep, I generally keep all of my open world games together. So I have, it's like the Assassin's Creed series, then the Grand Theft Auto series, then Red Dead, then Just Cause and Prototype and Saints Row and Saboteur, like 
that way, because because whenever I'm interested in looking for something, I kind of I have a visual position of where it should be, and then I also have like the the end of the end of the line shelf, which is just like all the random shit that's left over. Sure. So my leftover games are Rockstar Table Tennis, Madden 08, Viva Pinata, Lego Rock Band, which I have actually separated out from the other Rock Band games. That's um, funny. Ultimate Alliance, Dead Rising, like the stuff that I'm I'm not ever going to like play or think about sure. kind of gets chunked to the end. But I find that it works pretty well because it does keep series together and yeah. then it helps me think about um, genres. In it says something about you and your interests too, I think. Mm-hmm. The only time I ever had big problems with my alphabetical but then series rankings was with the Elder Scrolls games. And I decided not to put them under E, but under O and S. Huh. Because I'm like, nobody, because I'm just like, nobody thinks of them as Elder Scrolls games. Right. It's just Oblivion. I'm playing Skyrim. I'm not playing the Elder Scrolls V. So to me, that's an S game. That's funny. Because I, yeah, I would certainly, I would certainly group them together, but I would probably stick them at S and then just put Oblivion before Skyrim. See, that seems wrong. That would look so wrong. Um. With with the PlayStation Two, I actually did it by my favorites, like what I thought were like the best series, and then worked my right. way down. So it was all the Grand Theft Autos, then like Final Fantasy Ten and Twelve, and then the oh. God of War series, then the Metal Gear Solids. Awesome. Yeah, it's kind of kind of arbitrary. Yeah. All right, all right. Aiden in England writes in and says, I was playing Streets of Rage 2 with my friends recently, and after devouring a few chickens, we started talking about the way food is usually used to restore health in games. My question is, if if this were applied to real life, what type of food do you think would restore the most health? Interesting. So I think you need to think about, like, efficient foods, like efficient fat and calorie and fiber delivery systems. So nuts, Nuts. I think, would, would be really high yogurt um certain kind of fruits like like blueberries oh superfoods or, or apples yeah like like a superfood like seriously right like uh like the big hearty leafy greens mm-hmm. would probably be very very efficient like um on in that regard i think smoothies if you could if you could make yes. up like certain power smoothies would probably be the most efficient way to get food into your body definitely i agree with there, that there's that company coming out that's making that thing called soylent which is food for people who don't like to eat that's interesting where they're basically just bottling smoothies of nutritional things um i also in the same regard you know breakfast bars like cliff bars or power yeah. bars those kinds of things would probably be the most efficient delivery mechanism right i think things like uh like meat or breads would tire you out too much mm-hmm. if i was if i needed to go beat up a bunch of dudes yeah so I think those are, are not good answers. I think, we, I think we've got good answers here. Yeah. If you could, and this would involve surgery, get a watch that would tell you what your health bar was based on your metabolism, your immune system, and how full you are, would you do it? Absolutely. I don't think so. Oh, man. I want charts and bars of me all the time everywhere. Like constant monitoring of like my weight and heart rate. And activity levels and stuff that I can look back and analyze and then like get recommendations on what I should do would be fascinating. So last year I I bought one of those um Fitbits. Yep. I'm wearing one right now. I got a Fitbit. Ah, and see, here's what happened with my Fitbit. I, I logged my stuff for a couple of weeks. 
And it, you know what it said to me? It said, what? you don't, you don't, you know, walk enough. And you know what I said? What? Well, there's no more walking I can fit into my life. So you go <laughs> on the table. My Fitbit is really good at keeping track of how still my drawer is. Man. Uh, I just never found that the, the feedback was particularly useful. So I think that if I had that kind of system, it would be nagging at me and I would just feel guilty all the time, but I would never do anything about it. So I would just rather not yeah. have it at all. That's, that's fair enough. <laughs> Let's be honest with ourselves. I tried, I tried one of those calorie tracker apps last year. Uh-huh. And oh no, that's, I can't do that. It just takes too much damn time to it's, log. It's just so long. So, and I don't know, especially since, um, like I, I make a very conscious choice to eat like mostly food that I make. So yes. I can't, I can't be like, okay, I ate this sandwich from this restaurant. Right. Cause I'm like, okay, I made this soup. And wait a minute, do I have to like go look up all the weights of the food I put in mm-hmm. and there are actually then like divide that by the portion size? Like, yep. fuck this. There no. are actually some websites that will allow you to copy paste recipes in and then get calorie output. So that, that would be helpful. It, that. it is helpful, but it is like another step and difficult to get it into the phone. You know, it's just the system is not quite in place for it to work, but I, I had the exact same problem. I was like, well, you know, I, I eat the same oatmeal every morning for breakfast, so that's easy. That is one recipe that I can put in once. I know exactly how much I'm eating and, and what it right. is. Exactly. But then you, you try a new recipe, and you're like, eh, I'm just going to estimate 600 calories? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Or, like, look up, like, all right, I made minestrone. Here's just, like, the minestrone button. I don't know if this is exactly what I had in mind, but let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's dumb. All right. Adam in Baton Rouge writes... There's been a lot of chatter in forums and numerous columns written about how Nintendo is doomed and should stop making consoles. People are saying the Wii U as a failure. Yes, marketing is and was bad, but a lot of people were saying similar things about the 3DS years ago. It was overpriced, had no games, etc. Now the 3DS is booming thanks to a price drop in games like Pokemon and Animal Crossing and Fire Emblem. Do you think Nintendo is doomed like many others in the industry are saying? Or will the Wii U get its killer app in 2014 to change people's perceptions similar to the 3DS? Okay. I th- okay, go ahead. I played with a Wii U for the first time ever recently. Wow. Oh, wow. Yes, I was, in a tar- I was in a Target or something. Yeah, I played it in Best Buy actually like right when it came out. I played a bunch of Rayman. That controller is st- like super stupid. It is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It didn't add like I was, I was playing. I don't remember what I was playing. I played some of the, the wind waker HD remake, which looked great, but sure. I was holding that thing. And I was like, man, I just do not, I cannot ever imagine holding this controller in front of me. Um, so I don't think, I don't think the Wii U will be successful. Will it be a failure? Probably not. I don't think it'll catch on. So yeah, the way the questions is for do you think Nintendo is doomed and Nintendo is fine? Yeah, um, they'll make and will be fine. They'll make another console. I do think the Wii U is doomed, and here's why: because the Wii, like the Wii U, had horrible software support. Mm-hmm. Horrible. But the Wii's core mechanic was fresh, instantly understandable, and appealing to a wide audience, and came with an incredible tech demo to prove that out. Yes, it was at a price enough that was an impulse purchase. And had at least one or two other games to sustain that for a little bit of time. And and word of mouth kept Wii, U sa- Wii sales high for a long time. The Wii U's core mechanic 
is not interesting at all. Um, it's obtuse. It's obtuse. Um, it is not as instantly understandable. It does not come with a game that proves the value of it, mm-hmm. even in a one-off type of way, and suffers from the same um, software support that the Wii had. Yeah, I continue. Th- I continue th- to believe that if the iPhone were out and popular at the time the Wii U came out, the Wii U never would have been as successful as it was. See, and again, I will say to you, I think you are completely discounting the social aspect of the Wii. Sure. Like, that, that is a massive difference that the iPhone does not provide. It provides casual gaming to people who were not playing games, so maybe that niche. But, but yeah. I, still th- I still think the Wii would have had a, an impact in that kind of living room type of way. Um, the, now, going back to the 3DS, like... The 3DS is successful because they put out a shit ton of great games for the 3DS. End of story. Like, that, that the, is how you solve the problem. Yeah. If they put out a whole bunch of great games for the Wii U, then I think that the Wii U would be successful. But yeah. I would bet money that that's not going to happen. I honestly do think that Nintendo should just stick to handhelds. It's what they've always been the best at. Always. Just never, ever... You know, none of their handhelds are bad. Even even the uh, Game Boy Advance original with its lighting issues was still a great piece of hardware. So, you know, Nintendo is not doomed. But if I had to say, if I had to declare what Nintendo's direction should be, I would say just go handhelds. Just do what you are the best at. I agree with that. What they're not that's not just what they're the best at. They're great at making games with their proprietary characters. Oh sure. But their output doesn't justify a dedicated console right unless they only want to put games out on their handheld console which i would be 100 percent fine with yeah but their their console output is similar to other major third-party publishers not enough to justify its own system like if you if you had a 3d or or wii right now it's just mario yeah maybe Maybe um, Wind Waker Pikmin? HD, Pikmin. No, I don't know about Wind Waker HD. Yeah, I'm sure that's great, but I played that game. I don't want to play. Right, that game. the Wonderful 101 seemed like a cool idea, but yeah. I would I would play a DS version of that. Totally. Yeah, yeah, and particularly because the the Wii U is so much like a DS in terms of you have two screens. <laughs> it seems like a strange thing. Uh, I said we skip this question. Okay. I don't have any good answers. Um, who is it? Oh, it's, I think it's my turn to read. Yes. Scott from Australia writes in and says, with the games as service model taking off, games often receive post-launch content updates or performance patches. Many online games also suffer through botched launches. How do we see games journalism and reviewing changing to accommodate? Are static day one reviews losing their relevance? For example, I played Marvel Heroes at launch six months ago and recently got back into it. It is improved markedly since its launch in terms of gameplay and its content from an okay game to a very solid one. Um, I think there, there, there are two ways that we need to approach this question. One is the way that games change after launch. And then the second is what, what is the usefulness of day one reviews versus the usefulness of reviewing something six months down the line, even if nothing has changed too. Right. I think the the problem is while one person is often involved in what you would call games journalism, 
and reviewing, those are very different things to me. And I, and I don't even mean journalism in the sense of like criticism or theory or something like that. I right. truly mean journalism in like what a newspaper reporter covering a beat would do. Exactly. Um, reviewing is very much like a critical look. It's, it's like buying advice, right? And there is still going to be a place for when a game comes out, should you buy this game? Yes or no. And I think that is needed and very useful. Um, should, should those places update the reviews down the road? No. I think if they want another review with a different date on it, I think that is okay. Mm-hmm. I think you can re-review a game, but you should not change the review because even that history is really useful. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's not just a... like. There could be a website that just says thumbs like should I buy this game yes or no and then those always change depending on oh well you know one game has actually been supplanted by the sequel so even though it may have been like a 10 star game you should not buy that game you should go ahead and buy the sequel but it's you know it becomes part of a how would you even go so it's one thing with an MMO right but how would you review like Call of Duty 4 today nobody's playing that game online so, in some degree, the quality of the game itself doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, in terms of buying advice, you should, like, don't buy that game. Nobody's playing it online. You should buy the new one. Or, so, or hey, even though no one is playing that game, like, that single-player campaign is still really cool. So, and, if you, and you can get really that game cool. for $10. Maybe so. It still yeah. holds up. But that's the part where the, like, journalism part comes in. Covering the beat, talking about things on podcasts, talking about things with friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. It becomes a lot more difficult there becomes a lot more variables in offering buying advice and more interest in looking at games in a historical uh like place and uh situation yeah then then what what the the core function of a review does that's that that's the thing that criticism is really good at is that criticism can take time like you don't need to have a critique of a game the week it comes out comes out like yes because Grand Theft Auto V came out and so many people played it, there was a lot of writing about people's feelings on the game that were outside of reviews. Uh-huh. And um, that's fine. But that stuff is still relevant, you know, six months later, a year later. And that's one of the cool things about the Game of the Year list is that there's stuff on people's Games of the Year lists that I did not even see. And so it acts as kind of a review to say, like, yes, at this point in time, I still recommend X game. Uh, you know, there are a couple things I bought on Steam having seen it on people's top 10 lists. And it's also why game outlets don't just take all of their reviews, sort by score descending and publish it. Yeah. That would not, that would not be a useful idea for game of the year. Yep. All right. This, this came out of a much longer question about a mocap studio drunken night but the final question was what game do you want to be in if you could be in a game uh no a no game no game you don't want to be in a game no game that all game, games are violent and scary well uh, no no sorry what in what game would you like to have your likeness represented in oh not like what world do you want to live in otherwise i'd like choose viva pinata or something no, if um, if you could lend your likeness to a game, I got gotcha. you. I, I understand. Um, huh? I don't know, man. Like, 
Mass Effect kind of comes to mind. Yeah. Like, that seems cool. Like, um, just d- doing doing cool spacey stuff. Regular guy in space. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what that means. Like, I'm just a um, pretty regular guy looking. So, like, what what games do you need a regular guy in? Yeah. I think it would be uh, cool to be in a fighting game, because then okay. I could do things that I would never, ever be able to do in real life. I would love to be in Dive Kick. That would be funny. <laughs> that would be, like, a personalized version of Dive Kick for me. Yeah. It would be great. I would, like, I would like to be in Cards Against Humanity. Oh, we are. Oh, wait. That's really cool. Um, I also... Because I have a fondness for for JRPGs, uh, even though I don't love all of them, I, I would like to lend myself into a, like a JRPG world. Would you want to be in Persona? Yes, I, well, and have the dark version of Bobby. Yep, show up. Basically, I want to be in Persona. That's right. correct. Okay. I want to see, right. but I don't want to be the main character. I want to be just a character in Persona, like one sure, of your exactly. friends. Exactly. So we need to go and again, like I said, we need to find the dark version yep. of Bobby. Yep. What would that be? I'm not you. No. No, don't say that. No, say that, because if you don't say that, then we can't advance the plot, and then we can't fight the battle. Ah. All right. Um, I kind of think we should skip this one. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say I think Mortal Kombat's dumb. Mortal Kombat is dumb. There's a, more, there's a long Mortal Kombat question, and we don't like it. Okay. okay. James writes in and says, I asked my American friend Shane to bring a few girls to a Christmas party, and he showed up with only two. This left Tony without somebody to dance with. Am I wrong in thinking it is universally known that a few always means three? For Americans, how many is a couple, a few, and several? I think it's totally gross that you were tasked to just like bring and just bring girls. Just find pairs of X chromosomes and bring them. Yep. And we will assume to pair up. However, because this was the situation that we're faced with, we still have to answer. Sure. Uh, yeah, a couple is two. A couple is always two. couple is two. A few is three. Several has, doesn't mean anything. I, was, I, think it, I think it means more than two, but I, don't, but I don't know if it means like four or more. Okay. I would say a couple is two. A few is definitely three, but I would accept four. If okay. I said a few is at least three. If I said, "Hey, like, give me a few choices of like beers or something from the store," and you Got brought it. home four, I'd be okay with that. You're all right. That that makes total sense. Like, if you said, "Give me a few Skittles," and I gave you four Skittles, you'd be like, "Oh, all right." Yeah. Why don't you Why don't you give me more Skittles? Um, several. Yeah, give me a few bags of Skittles. Exactly. I would say several is definitely four or more. Okay. How many is, but, how, what's too much? Like if you said, um, nine, nine is go, too many for several. Got it. So if you said, could you go get several beers from the store and I brought home 10, you would be like, whoa. Well, I would never complain about okay, that. All right. Let's, well, let's pick something else. So, uh, if you, all right, how many, Hey, we're having a party. How many pizzas should I get? And I got 12 pizzas and you said, get several. And I got 12 pizzas. You'd be like, what are we going to do with those leftover pizzas? This is yeah. ridiculous. Yes. I mean, again, this is a waste of money. Again, we have, that's a lot of pizza and that that would be a good thing to have. It's not going to go bad because I'm going to eat it. Um, I think it also depends on like, if I said like, Hey, uh, uh, give me several options for wallpaper. I don't want nine options. I want like the lower end of that. So it has to do with like picking between things. Got it. Um, also don't, don't get me wallpaper. Don't get wallpaper. Yeah. That's stupid. Just paint, paint. 
paint is color that you put on your wall. All right. All right. Uh, I believe it was Serial writes, would you guys consider Ryu to cast his fireball or special moves like fireballs, dragon punches, and sonic booms, magic spells? This would settle an argument. Thank you. No, I do not think they are spells. I also agree with you. I think these, I, I think the, the idea is that these people have achieved such a high level of their respective degrees of martial arts or, or fighting or whatever that there's just like a crazy buildup of energy that makes these things come out of them. Yeah. A, it is only because like the, of the way that light refracts around or reflects around this area of, of like a gravitational movement or something like that, like moving atoms through the air that you see what a fireball is. Like, I, I think, like, particularly the sonic boom, like, that is just a visual representation of a sound wave. Um, you Really, you should never see the sonic boom. If someone threw a sonic boom at you, you would not see it, uh, even though it still happens. And I think that the fireball is, is similar. Although, like, when you get caught on fire, when someone throws a fireball at you, like a red fireball, uh huh. that person still is on fire. No, that person is on fire because they spontaneously combusted because of the amount of energy hitting their body. Done. Done. Perfect. Our final question. Garrett writes in and says, I was hoping you guys could settle a debate me and my friend are in. I had recently texted him asking what's up, to which he replied he was eating Burger King. I was horrified to learn he was eating inside this establishment alone. I always get my food from the drive-thru and take it home, but he insists that eating inside is the way to go. What do you guys think? I guess I can see it if you're with your friends, but eating a lonely Whopper just sounds like the worst. Even if I'm on the brink of collapsing, I will get my shame from the drive-thru and eat it in the parking lot. I have a lot of feelings about this. Uh, one, I, I hate the drive-thru. I think it's terrible. I do too. Uh, it's inefficient. The You're, you're not going to get as good quality food because you need to check it. Um, and it's just, I think it's more of a pain in the butt that it's worth. Um, I don't have any problem with somebody sitting in a restaurant alone getting their food done. Um, it's maybe a little bit sad, but I, you know, I don't know. Like I've done it. I would totally do it again. I don't um, think. And fries don't travel well. That's no. the, that's the key problem here. Yeah. Um, I also think the problem is that he went to Burger King and Burger King is one of, if not the worst of the fast food establishments. Okay. Yes. Agree with you on that, on that respect and working the way back. Um, I think that it's not that it's like a sad thing to be alone eating Burger King or We'll change it to Wendy's so that it's sure. less sad. It's not a yeah, sad thing to be alone eating Wendy's. I just feel bad that that person is bored. So it's like right. an empathy for boredom more so than it is like, oh, what's like, wrong with put, your life? Put your put your headphones on, man. Just, you know. And that's the thing. So number one, particularly with smartphones or if there's like a newspaper around, like you, you should have something to do while you're eating so you're not just eating because then, yeah. like, then it At makes it point, a recreational activity. That's the same as like eating at home. I'm just doing my own thing. Right. So I, I have no problem with that. I think that eating in the car in the parking lot is an okay idea if there's something in the car that you're enjoying. Like if you're listening to the radio. Okay. But not as a mechanism for avoiding eating in the dining room. Right. That's just, that's place. more, I think that's more sad. Right. Like I couldn't even if, bother to eat with other people. I'm just going to sit lonely in my car. Get all over my chest. Um, uh. You know, because I go to fast food restaurants so rarely now, I do yeah. enjoy actually eating in the establishment. 
number one, when you eat in the establishment, you can get different sodas. So like I'll, I'll get like half a Dr. Pepper for one and maybe half a Coke after I finish that first half of Dr. Pepper. You don't have that option when you have, when you have to go. You got to commit. No refill. Yep. Um, number two, because there's no refill, you can order a smaller drink. That's true. When you're dining in. So I can get, I can get the value soda at Wendy's as part of my running the gamut of value meals or the, the value menu. Um, and then just refill it as many times as I want. Don't have to, don't have to pay the extra buck or whatever. Well, yeah, I have become more of a fan of recent years of, of ordering off that value dollar menu. Right. As opposed to just, right. It's just like, I get, it's like, what if I want five nuggets and a junior hamburger? Guess what? You do. So I, I do. I'm going to do that. Yeah. I, was, I need to commit to like a really big sandwich. Uh, after the Christmas party this year, we had had, what did I get? I got, um, I got a Monterey chicken sandwich. So this is all dollar menu or all value menu from Wendy's. The Monterey chicken sandwich, Monterey ranch chicken sandwich, a junior cheeseburger and a four piece spicy nugget and a value fry and a value drink. That sounds great. It's, it's all the different options. Why limit yourself? Like if you're going to Wendy's all the time, I can understand like trading back and forth between the two, but I'm going maybe like once every two months. It's got yeah. to be special and I want to try it all. Plus, if you get the spicy nuggets, then you get the flavor oh, of the, the spicy, spicy chicken spicy. sandwich. Oh, God damn it. The Without spicy nuggets are so smart. All the filler. It's one of those things like, I hope I hope that guy got a promotion. Yeah. It's like, wait a second. We have a spicy sandwich, right? Uh-huh. We have nuggets? We have nuggets. What if we just use the spicy breading from the sandwich on the nuggets? It's not the same breading. No, no. Sorry, you're right. It's not the same breading. But, it, it's, but it's got to be the same like spice, spice mix. Spice mix, yeah. Yeah. The nuggets are more like bread crummy, while yeah. the like uh, there's a the chicken breast sandwich is crispier. Correct. Yeah, it's like a solid fry on it as opposed to the the breading. Um, but yeah, no, just eat in the restaurant, man. Just do what you got to do. Yeah, nothing wrong with eating in a restaurant by yourself. Yeah, don't eat too much fast food. And if you go to a sit down restaurant, like a nice restaurant, by yourself, eat at the bar. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Nothing wrong with eating at the bar. All right, that's it. Yay, good podcast. That was, oh, big episode 106. Oh, shit. Uh, big episode 106. Bob and Jay, Bobby, you're over there. I am over here. Jay, you're over there. Hi. And soon, okay. soon we'll be on our way to MAGFest. We will. We'll be MAGFesting. We'll, might podcast from there. Might Definitely we'll have a wrap-up podcast. Listen, I bought all this equipment, and I'm carrying a ton of stuff with me, so we are definitely going to podcast for MAGFest, whatever that is. Yay! Awesome. All right. I like it. Uh, yeah. Uh, we could just drink beers in the room and invite our friends over and take turns swapping. All right. Talking about it. We will definitely do some MAGFest podcasting. We'll do it. We'll talk and, from there. And uh, Jay, why don't you go play some more Zelda? Yeah, you play some more Zelda. And everybody else, go on Twitter and say, hey, at Low Score Podcast, my favorite game of the year is... Zelda. Your favorite game of the year. You can say Zelda. That's a good answer. 